You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey here with more conversations for the health of all things. And today I'm joined by Dr. Christopher Liu, who supports health through financial freedom and helping physicians live their best life. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's so great to have you. Thanks, Amelia. I'm really happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'd love for you to tell our audience more about your story in medicine. How did you get started and how did that lead you to where you are now? Sure. Um, so I grew up uh, in Houston and uh, grew up in very humble circumstances. Um, I was always the outsider, always got picked on. So I developed a very entrepreneurial skill set. So uh, back then, the the keys towards um, financial freedom and financial independence when I was growing up was to uh, go to medical school or law school uh, finance uh, to get a high paying job. Uh, so I followed that traditional saying for uh, for, uh, for a long period of my life. Uh, but it was really my true passions and my true um, uh, interests were in business and entrepreneurship. So uh, I went to Baylor for medical school. I was part of the MD-PhD program. And, uh, you know, back then, Baylor and Rice, where I got my PhD, was uh, a really entrepreneurial place where there was a lot of uh, biotech startups, a lot of um, nanotechnology startups. I got my PhD in nanotechnology. So that's when I started uh, two companies. One was uh, investing in stocks and trading options. And so I, <clears throat> by uh, my second year of medical school, and finally by my last year of um, medical school, I was able to generate a full-time income without needing uh, to work for anybody or without needing a, a job. So, uh, and then what I did was I poured those uh, earnings back into real estate into cash flowing investments. So, um, Nevertheless, a lot of my mentors and my colleagues and professors advocated for me to go the traditional route and to uh, to uh, have a backup plan in case anything fell through. So, you know, I I pursued the, the high paying specialties, orthopedic surgery, um, and really I, I knew once when I when I matched, I, it wasn't really my passion. So, but I did for two years, and then eventually. By 2008, when the uh, financial crisis hit, that was my opportunity because um, real estate deals were uh, on fire sale. There were um, a lot of discounts and a lot of um, different opportunities. So basically, I had that skill set. So I poured um, the next eight years into uh, investing in single-family condominiums, residences. And uh, by my mid-30s, I had um, achieved a level of financial freedom and independence where um, I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. So that's when I, uh, I took a year off and I uh, started my consulting company. So now I'm a digital content creator. I consult um, with hospitals and their 
uh, healthcare IT and their, um, uh, uh, sorry, their computer records implementation. And then I do a lot of uh, executive coaching, speaking, and uh, I'm a, also an advisor for a healthcare startup as well as um, a, um, and uh, do a lot of uh, client coaching. So, and I'm happy to take any uh, questions from there. Yeah, that's such a great story. And so interesting to hear that you had these two kind of diverging paths and you seem to have brought them back together. You know, so you had this MD, PhD, so they started from that same space and then you really pursued the business arm, but you took the time to come back, you know, or maybe you were always within health. Do you see that, that you've really been in healthcare the whole time, just maybe in a different way than you might've envisioned when starting that doctor route? Yeah. Um, so like I tell my clients, I, the, um, the skills sets that I learned, um, to get into medical school, um, to graduate from medical school, get into residency, those are all skill sets needed to, um, for high achievers and to, uh, going to, um, uh, to make high impact. So I take all those skills and, um, apply it into my entrepreneurial ventures, into my business. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also, um, like you mentioned, it's also a different, a divergent path where you're basically serving the same, uh, cohort, but it's, you're just focusing on a different niche. So, um, uh, you know, going through medical school and going uh, through graduate school and through the whole residency process, um, has really allowed me to connect with physicians and for the healthcare professionals um, and be able to really relate to their um, stories and to their situation and to be able to help them. And do you remember for you some of those most challenging points in your journey and where that has led you to intervene? You know, so whatever those trickiest parts, either staying on the path when you knew it wasn't right for you, or just that process of applying for a high pressure, you know, highly competitive residency. What are some of those pressure points and how have you helped others address those? Yeah. So, uh, so the first pressure point is um, just before is actually um, listening to the uh, traditional advice and getting on the traditional path. So that's the first thing. So uh, where I intervene or where I understand is um, I understand that clients, um, well, one is to help clients get a clarity about what are their goals, values, beliefs. Um, I also help them get context into um, what is, uh, where are they at, both mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially. And then uh, from there, before you make any decision on what path to take, you have your options. What are your particular talents? What are your particular predispositions, your uh, particular skill sets? And from there, we craft a plan as to what is the best uh, approach and what is the best strategy so that you can ultimately um, achieve your goals and values that you want out of life, whether that's financial freedom, whether that's building a family, building a business, building a career. You know, every, we all have different needs and wants. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. So I really understand that, you know, uh, the mindset of social conditioning. Then the second part is uh, what, there's a couple of different um, pivots from here. One is um, if they're interested in uh, entrepreneurial ventures, starting your own company, uh, I can intervene there. There's also um, different, uh, a pathway where you can venture into, not necessarily leaving medicine, but you can actually carve your own niche and pathway while still taking care of patients. So a lot of my clients uh, offer that aspect as well, where they're still, uh, they still have the the stability of a uh, clinical income, but they are still um, doing things where they're 
making an impact, whether that's in teaching, research, administration, and so on and so forth. So, and then uh, there's another cohort where uh, you have to really, this is the hardest cohort because this is the, uh, the segment where um, they know that they're on the wrong path, but it's, but it's hard to get off of it. So they're either they're trapped by fear or they're trapped by student loan debt or they're trapped by their particular situations and circumstances. So that's the hardest part because that's when you have to really um, get them to take action. They know the best right action is to do something else, but they have to do a lot of planning and preparing um, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's so important to notice all of those and that you give some opportunity and almost maybe permission, right? Not that we need necessarily permission from someone else, but or demonstration that it's okay. It's okay to step off of that paved path and to create your own and okay to stay on it. I think a lot of times when we talk about coaching with physicians, there's this concern, well, everybody's going to leave medicine, right? We need, we need people to stay and, you know, deliver direct patient care, but that both are possible, right? It's possible to find ways to stay successfully and it's okay if it is time to depart and you brought up in there you know the mind body spirit aspect which is so key and core to osteopathic philosophy and what I'm hearing here is this financial health you know and how that comes through and it can really influence all of those we can think about the stress of finances and how that shows up in our body the feelings we have around it all of the mental constructs you know what we're thinking and how we're judging ourselves for where we are what do you notice and do you ever phrase it as financial health with your clients. Yeah, I, I like that, uh, that term financial health because um, really the more financially healthy you are, the better off. It's, it, there's a correlation, there's a recent study where uh, examining a cohort of doctors where they looked at financial health, whether that's through income, uh, passive sources, real estate stocks. Uh, and the more options you have, the better off your, you are, both your career. So that gives you, because, and the underlying factor was more options. So you, you can, you don't, you don't feel trapped. You're not stuck by debt. Um, and it also correlates into better relationships, better families, better marriages, better relationship with your kids and better overall financial, mental, emotional health. So really financial health is a, is a, is a, is a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And it all, it all begins with um, financial literacy, which we don't really learn in school. Be, you know, I think I had to learn everything on my own outside of school. So, um, so I think really we have to um, start at advocating and educating you know, the whole population about financial health, starting from early on all the way into our careers. Um, a lot of uh, society teaches us to just pursue high income professions and specialties, but just because you have a high income doesn't necessarily mean you're financially free and independent. You have to be able to take that income and translate it into residual passive income so that as you age or as you um, progress later in your life, you have more time to do the things that you enjoy and that bring you fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And in general, there can be this perception we're mentoring high paying careers that, oh, physicians are fine, right? They, they make enough money or mm-hmm. they have job security. And we're seeing that that's being proven untrue. We've seen a lot of job insecurity, especially in employed positions, particularly during the time of the pandemic. 
And also, I wonder how you do relate this maybe across spectrums, you know, so for somebody who's listening that maybe isn't earning a high income, how this might still apply to them. Yeah, um, it really comes down to four key things. So uh, income is is 25% of it. The other comes from expenses. So again, you know, physicians, we are, we their stereotype is that we have the big house, the fancy cars, and that's in the job security stability. It's changing now because the uh, with student loans and um, with uh, the way the financial system works, the way money works now, uh, it's also changing in terms of societal constraints, um, in terms of marriages and families, the way we look at those um, highly touted beliefs. So all of that is changing. So really, it comes down to expenses. So that doesn't necessarily mean we have to, uh, you know, live. Uh, cheaply or frugally, you know, we can still, you know, enjoy a a nice, comfortable lifestyle, but we really have to watch our expenses and not let them get out of hand. So that's one thing. Um, And because of all these different factors and the ways everything's changing, we have to be more cognizant of uh, just overall income and overall expenses. Taxes are going up, inflation's going up, um, the cost of living is going up, insurance, et cetera. The other thing is we have to know the differences between assets and liabilities. So I tell all my clients, uh, anything that uh, takes money out of you is a, is a liability. So you, the highly touted idea of your house is an asset, in a way it is, in a way it isn't, because you still have to pay for the property taxes, the mortgage, the insurance, anything breaks down. So, But a rental property can be an asset or a liability. So again, we have to know these differences. And um, the other um, idea is, you know, just because you drive a fancy car doesn't necessarily mean you are financially free. That just means you have a liability on your hand. So um, so those four key aspects we have to start, start learning about, start focusing on. So really the way to financial freedom is to, the good thing about physicians is that they have a, a, a lot of income, which can then be translated into uh, decreasing your expenses, decreasing your taxes, you can put them more into assets, cash producing assets to uh, produce more passive income to free up your time. And then you also decrease your um, overall consumptive liability. So it, it's okay to use um, a debt to uh, acquire assets and um, things such as that nature. So, um, you know, all four of these components are, are key. I'm curious in for me, I know this personally, and there's a sense of altruism generally amongst physicians, how you align the work that you're doing in the building of assets and financial freedom toward, say, philanthropy or community involvement. Is there any direct corollary there? Is that an intentional place in the work that you do with clients? Do you see that emerge? And I love that you've given references. So maybe are there any resources that would support that? You know, Maybe it's anecdotes, maybe it's true resources that would say, when you do earn higher, you have the capacity to give in a different way. Yeah, I like that question because um, really after, because after, um, well, my parents always told me to always, you know, give back in some way, keep the flow going, keep the good karma going. So as a physician, you know, once you've achieved a comfortable lifestyle, you know, you have some disposable income, maybe you have some cash producing assets, maybe you're financially free, maybe you've, um, you know, you retired early. So that's one, one goal. That's a, that's a very 
uh, lofty goal that all of us uh, aspire to and wish. And um, so once you have that, you know, the next thing is, how are you going to, what's the next level of contribution, whether it's to your spouse, to your kids, your family, to your community, um, making an impact for other physicians, uh, giving back in certain ways, uh, either through monetary, through your time, mentoring, uh, creating great information. So that sort of thing. But I think um, the next level beyond financial independence and early retirement is, is giving back and, and contributing either uh, it, it doesn't have to be monetary. It can be through um, your time and your generosity and helping others. Um, so those are all different ways, but I think, uh, and also, also as physicians, because we're so altruistic, we can translate some of that altruism from patient and clinical care into uh, promoting and leaving a legacy for the next generation as well. Yeah, I love that. And I'm wondering, you mentioned, you know, the tech startups and these creative places. How do you help physicians uncover ideas that might help directly, you know, in the delivery of healthcare? or perhaps in new and surprising ways. You know, there might be, sometimes I get the sense that physicians have suppressed some of their creativity as they really adapted to a system and worked on finding right answers and following evidence-based medicine, which is also important. But how do you tap into that creative space? Because it sounds like I hear that and what you're doing yourself. And I wonder how that emerges for you with your clients. Well, creativity is an actually, it's a very interesting um, subject because we're, we're all creative. It's not um, just confined to musicians and artists, but it, we all have creativity. So it's really up to us to channel it. So, um, and it's really interesting because physicians, we are, we are very interesting cohort because we are highly driven, highly intelligent, highly capable. So, but we also have to fit into the system of the insurance and the bureaucracy. So I think when we are forced to do that, we sort of uh, lose a part of ourselves. We sort of disown that part of ourselves, that um, that 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 um, that curiosity, that childlike um, manner. Um, so we have to uh, really channel that back. So I'll give you for an example. Um, a lot of my one of my clients I, I coached, and so she she didn't leave medicine, but she found joy in clinical care. But she also found joy in um, educate like educating residents and medical students and teaching. So that's one way of sparking creativity. So you can do that. Another one um, did went completely into research. So scientific research and um, clinical research, you have to be highly, those are highly creative fields. And mm -hmm. even though the, um, the income is, is less, I find that they, uh, the um, physicians in academia enjoy a lot much more career satisfaction because they're giving a part of them and they're contributing and they're doing something more meaningful rather than just um, chasing a high income. The other cohort I have is um, is the the uh, series of entrepreneurs who have gone out, um, you know, off the uh, well-being path, started their own companies, really pursued their own passion. So all three of those um, examples requ require creativity and require a lot of um, passion and a lot of ingenuity. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned that it's there, right? And it kind of gets stifled. And we talk about self-healing in osteopathic medicine, and it doesn't go away necessarily, right? It becomes dormant. And through this process, working with you, perhaps achieving some financial freedom allows that space to open again. And they're almost healing 
that inner core of who they were. And it can still contribute to medicine. I love that the majority of those examples are still teaching or academia and your research that's going to benefit health on a broader scale. And that becomes accessible. I think that's really encouraging. Mm -hmm. Another tenet I hear echoed in what you're talking about is the relationship of structure and function. And so you've given some really concrete examples and you've demonstrated, you know, having a plan and can get you where you need to go. Do you see other ways structure shows up in your life that helps things actually to work better, you know, to optimize your function? Yeah. Um, so I started out with, um, really it's, uh, um, some of my mentors were, uh, like Jim Rohn and, uh, Tony Robbins and, um, Brendan Bouchard, all of these high influencers, uh, Robin Sharma, the 5am club. So mm-hmm. all of these, it, it, there's a lot of the new or a lot of books and a lot of, um, content coming out, you know, starting with, um, the whole wellness and spirituality and just starting out your day with, a with a routine that puts you in a very resourceful and empowering uh, mode in a, a state. So that if, whether that's, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. or meditating or going for a run or doing something, um, disconnecting from technology, not, not reacting to social media or emails, but one where you're, where you're consciously choosing how to start out your day. So, and it's different for everybody, but, you know, for me, it starts out, you know, with a cold plunge. Um, uh, it, it starts out with a meditation, journaling, and about an hour of reading, just an hour to two where you're focused on your own self and uh, creating ideas and values and so that you can tackle the day in a much more resourceful and much more abundant state rather than being in a rush and reacting to the daily activities of life. Mm -hmm. I love that. And setting the tone for your day and the intention can be so powerful. How do you deal with when obstacles do arise? You know, there's lots of different philosophies around this, but we talk in osteopathic medicine about removing obstructions to health. And so when things come up, either expected or not, roadblocks, how do you find that? Do you have strategies in place to help you handle when things don't quite go as you might've planned? Oh yeah. Uh, I used to really struggle with uh, roadblocks and obstructions and just frustrations. And I used to used to almost derail it for a long time. It, it derailed me. And uh, there was just one point where it's just like, it was happening every day where I just uh, told myself, I have to develop strategies and tools in place to either to either prevent or to mitigate and manage them so that it doesn't cause that sort of havoc and that, uh, or that negative spiral where it just ruins your day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one thing is, uh, one is I've been working a lot is just on boundaries. So, you know, saying no more often, um, you know, and, uh, just creating more, uh, intention uh, creating more intentions and being more intentional about how I use my time, what I think about, what I'm feeling, you know, all, all my different perceptions. So that's one is just boundaries. Uh, whether that's, you know, separating from distance or time or different strategies, creating boundaries. The other thing is uh, med- meditation. So uh, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in, in the afternoon and 10 minutes, um, at night. So I'm, I'm an introvert. So I get a lot of, um, uh, rejuvenation from being alone and, and, uh, introspecting and journaling and things like that. So that, that, 
replenishes me. So, so meditation does, and then just changing, uh, changing the being conscious of your, uh, your mind talk. So instead of thinking everything is about you or, um, happening to you, think of it more as a terms in terms of a more global universal, uh, scale and seeing that, you know, you're, we're all part of one and we're all together in this. And it's not about, it's not about the ego and it's not about, um, you know, uh, beating another, you know, things such as, you know, competition and things such as that nature. I think that's so important and connection is so powerful and really the lifeline of health, you know, I found for myself and for patients when you can feel connection to yourself and to others that can really get you through many challenging situations. I'm curious about your work with healthcare systems and how you see what you're doing as almost bringing health to healthcare. And that's one of the passion projects I have working with coaches at the institutional level. And I wonder how you see the way you've been able to marry your past experience through medicine and training with your entrepreneurship and in the healthcare system right now. Uh Great question. So um, I've actually, you know, since I retired from medicine, but I really never really wanted to walk away from medicine completely. So, so that's one of the reasons why I got into healthcare IT consulting, because it, it would just give me another channel from which I could utilize my background and my experience. Um, so that, you know, all of that education didn't go to waste. So I'm really passionate about technology. And the way, uh, the way it is, is, um, so these a lot of uh, hospitals are tra- tra- have tra- already transitioned from paper charting into the electronic medical record error. So that's introduced a lot of um, a lot of uh, streamlining and a lot of um, efficiencies in terms of documentation and ordering and billing. But it's also introduced a lot of inefficiencies as well. So a lot of you know the electronic health records you know separated physicians from patient care. Um, it's introduced a lot of uh, extraneous um, administrative clerical time for physicians. So it's, it has its good and bad. So as with, with all technology, there's good and bad. So you have to look at both. And with time, these issues um, get resolved or mitigated and new issues arise. So that's how with, in, with technology, that's how it usually progresses. And that's innovation. So mm-hmm. uh, the, then the next phase is with electronic health records is, you know, once we, cause once we're, we've already in, in the information age. So now we're in the age of automation and artificial intelligence. So a lot of uh, the next question is what are these hospitals and insurance companies uh, and regulatory agencies going to do with all of this patient data? So, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of information and data for uh, patient diagnosis, prognosis, treatment, you know, for current existing diseases as well as new ones as well. So, um, and that's how I sort of, I combine my, um, my medical degree, my, um, my background in um, research and nanotechnology, as well as my, my consulting experience in my, as well as my love for technology. So I think it's a, it's a great field because it's allowed me to uh, marry all of my skills and passions into um, these projects. Yeah. And I think it's so encouraging to hear that there's somebody who has experience, who is advocating for physicians and patients in that space. You know, how do we make these electronic health records work for us and not against us and acknowledging that both are happening, 
you know, addressing and recognizing obstacles and celebrating successes is so important. So to be able to do both of those is really encouraging. Well, there's been so much great information here. And I think ways for our listeners to see that they have a space, right, to be creative, to set goals, different ways they can structure their lives to optimize their function, and that there really is incorporation of body, mind, spirit into financial health. I think that's so great. And I thank you for being here. As my wrap-up question, I wonder, and this can be broad, this is open to any interpretation, how do you see yourself for the health of all things? Um, well, um, I'm really advocating towards a more of a holistic and more of a, a preventative approach because I've seen I've seen medicine where it, the traditional model was uh, you prescribe more treatments, medications, diagnosis, you know, imaging. Uh, you, doctors got compensated based on procedures and number of patients, but now uh, it's sort of, it's changing now because um, you know the current model the system of healthcare. You know we've seen both the good and, and the bad. So I think right now, as we progress into the future, the idea is going to be more about prevention. It's going to be about more uh, wellness and wholeness and just in terms of uh, whether that's um, just uh, in terms of uh, uh, entire physician well-being. So the physician as a whole, not just one aspect, but just as, a, as, as the entire picture. So that's financial, spiritual, emotional, uh, physical as well. So, and I think all of these, you know, with, uh, with COVID-19 and this year, I think it's really brought to light and has ex- actually accelerated a lot of the um, changes that need to be made. So I think a lot of, um, I think our medical profession, if we really embrace these times and, and move forward and start to bring these issues into awareness, we'll do much better. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating and important. I thank you for doing the work that you are. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how would they best reach you? And what are some other key information you might have available? Uh, so I have, um, I have my YouTube channel. You can just go onto YouTube and type in Christopher H. Lou MD, PhD. And there's just all my podcast interviews, all my personal um, uh, videos as well and go ahead and like subscribe. Um, I'm also very active on Instagram. I, this, uh, I built my channel during the pandemic from 200 followers and now it's almost 1600. So um, cool. I'm consistently posting and I'm really active on Instagram. So you just, t- uh, my handle is at Dr. Chris Lou MD PhD. I'm active on Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can email me at Christopher Lou MD PhD. And, um, so, and really, and I also have a, uh, link tree where it's just uh, one single link and you can see all my different uh, books. I'm also on Amazon, so you can type in my name and you can find my four books there as well. Excellent. We'll put all those details in the show notes. I thank you so much for your time and for your good work. And I'm happy to know that you're advocating for physicians in all ways for the health of all things. Well, thanks so much for having me. And I enjoyed in this conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.